Welcome to the Self-Made Expert Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Morgan, and I love speaking with people who are cultivating economically valuable expertise outside the world of academia and the licensed professions. Some of these conversations end up on this podcast. You can learn more about my work helping indie consultants build an expertise moat at philipmorganconsulting.com. Dennis Oakley, welcome to the Self-Made Expert. Thank you. Thank you very much, Philip. It's great to be here. So you and I have just met a few minutes ago, uh, during which point I learned that your children have something in common with me, which is that I was born in a semi-tropical environment, as were they, and they're now experiencing frozen stuff for the first time in their life. (laughs) That's... um, a wonderful place to start if you wouldn't mind saying a bit about who you are and what you do and why your kids were never exposed to snow until this point in their life. Thanks for that. So my name's Dennis Oakley and about 15, 16, 17 years ago, my wife and I decided we'd start a business and we thought the best place to do it was going to be New Zealand. We realized that that was a very big mistake pretty quickly and promptly moved it to Southeast Asia. Malaysia was a good place because people spoke English. The internet was good and it was close to lots of customers. And we settled down there. Uh, We had three children and they were all born in Malaysia. And every summer we'd go camping on on tropical beaches for uh, a couple of weeks. Um, And so what they've learned about the world and camping is that it's life's life's a tropical paradise. And now we're back in the UK, and it's not quite the same. (laughs) Why was New Zealand a mistake? Because that business, I mean, it it would have been brilliant to live there, absolutely no doubt. But the business we were running at the time was focused on heavy industry, selling from manufacturers of industrial equipment to other manufacturers of industrial equipment. And New Zealand... It's not good on a time zone basis. It's pretty difficult to head out to China, Indonesia, Singapore, India to visit customers. Uh, and they don't have very much heavy industry there. Uh, most of uh, most of the manufacturing is, is fairly small scale in the greater scheme of things that we were looking at. Got it. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the, the business, the arc of the business. Now that we've uh, explored your kids' relationship to snow, <laughs> tell me about the arc of the business. So we were we were happily, I think we were married and living in, in Birmingham in the UK. And you know, as you do, you sort of go on holiday and you have these ideas for businesses and then you come back um, off holiday and go back into work. And landlord said, OK, I want to uh, sell the house. So we suddenly lost the house. And so, so we thought, right, we're suddenly free. And so we, uh, my wife was working in the, in the steel industry at the time. And I was working for a, a big company and had just come across um, Salesforce as a CRM through somewhere or another. And we thought, okay, what happens if we take a state-of-the-art CRM in 2006, 2007? It was one of the very early SaaS products and apply it to the the steel industry, the steel stock trading industry. 
and we thought let's have a go at this because we were quite young full of energy at the time and most of the customers were out in southeast asia most of the suppliers were in in europe and we thought by doing way way better customer service we'd uh, we'd be able to create a great business out of it and it worked for a while and then uh-huh. we and we hit the then we hit the financial crisis and basically the whole of the steel industry came to an abrupt halt um, which was a a little bit of a challenge i have this theory that some industries have more volatility than others some are kind of boring and stable and some have these big ups and downs uh, my parents uh, don't live there anymore, but for some years after college, they lived in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which is uh, the home of Bethlehem Steel, one of the yeah. one of what was one, the very large steel manufacturers in the U.S. Driving around that town uh, is just such a vivid reminder of the ups and downs of the steel industry. Is it a volatile industry, or does it just get unlucky every twenty years? I spent, I mean, I was doing my MBA at the time and I, and so I, I got access to a lot of research papers. I sat down and I looked at it and yes, it is really cyclical as the, as the economy goes up, steel does really, really well because there's a lot of demand for it. Prices do well and, and, and you're able to make a lot of profits on the upturn and then equally so on the, on the downturn, life becomes pretty miserable. And so we planned for that. I mean, it was going to be tough. But but we planned for it. But basically, it got to 2008, 2009, and it, it flatlined. And there was a bump in 2012. There was another bump in, in 2015 as it got a little bit better. Uh-huh. But we stopped having the, uh, the cyclical nature of, of steel to a large extent. And, and then oil prices were suppressed as well for a long time. And, and so... What had happened for the last 30 years before we started didn't repeat. Uh, and, and, and that made made life pretty tough. Oh, interesting. So what happened next for your business? I Wait, I, I before tried. we get there, how long did you sort of hold on to a business that was in a vertical that was really not doing well? Um, I, my wife hung on for about 11 or 12 years mm-hmm. after about three i could i i could see what was really we were really struggling and yeah. so i started off doing some other entrepreneurial stuff to try and make some money and i i, I wasn't very good at it at, at, at the time i was trying to figure it all out by by myself and then i got onto an accelerator course that sort of taught me a lot of how you actually should do startups and one of the things that I was taught in that was something called the business model canvas. Mm-hmm. And this absolutely saved us. Uh, my wife dragged me back into the company because we got huge debts. We were hemorrhaging money. The, the sets, the staff couldn't sell anything. And it was, it was, it was a serious doom and gloom time. Mm. Um, so much so that that Christmas we actually had to make a choice of, well, do we actually buy rice? A, a bowl of rice for me and my wife for Christmas Day, or do we buy some baby milk to feed the baby? Oh, uh, wow. We were literally down to our last four or five dollars, and and no idea where any any was going to, any more was going to come from. I mean, it did happen, and we got some more money, so which was which was a good thing. Yeah. Um, but what we did, or, or what I did rather, is I started using the business model canvas. I sketched out our business, and and then tried to come up with a, a new business model. 
And so we tried that the next week. That didn't work. So <laughs> tried something else the next week. That didn't work. Tried something else the next week. That didn't work. And kept on trying new types of customers, new types of ways of selling to them, trying to work with our suppliers in new ways, trying to look after the customers in new ways, just constantly experimenting week after week because we'd done all the obvious things like do more marketing, try and do more sales, uh, cut your costs. There just wasn't anything else that we could do that came out of the standard MBA playbook. Yeah. Um, and just running through, I think we did 27 iterations of the of the, of the business model before we found something that that, that worked uh, and uh, and that started generating generating us money. It wasn't much to start with, but by the end of it, we'd gone from a a team of I think it was 12 uh, to my my wife and I. We'd automated. Um, I, I, got somebody to, to write some machine learning stuff for me. We popped it into Salesforce. We totally automated everything. And so we were able to, to quote people in something under an hour rather than the two to three days that was often typical for the industry. And that processing the volume enabled us to sell enough, even on the reduced margins, so that the business then survived and prospered for a number of years. That's so interesting. I'm curious what what kept you going through 27 iterations, and I'm curious what uh, looking back on it was your approach systematic? Was it you know let's just try anything and everything? So what kept me going? Um, a few years before, I, I'd read an article in Entrepreneur or Fortune or Inc or something like that. And it said all successful entrepreneurs are doing Ironman triathlon. So I thought with brilliant causal logic that I'm going to become a triathlete. I'm going to do Ironman and therefore I'm <laughs> going to be a successful entrepreneur. As we've seen, it didn't quite work out, out that way. But when you, when you train for an Ironman, which is, what is it, four kilometer open water swim, which takes an hour and a half, two hours, 180 kilometer cycle ride six to eight hours and then a 42 kilometer marathon which is four to six hours and you're doing those back to back without stopping you'd learn to keep on on going you learn a lot of resilience a lot of down times during the day a lot of discomfort suffering a lot of pain yeah. and, and you you figure out the mental routines to to cope with that and when I got myself into, the, in, into into this mess that we we got a, a failing business that we we didn't actually have any good options to to get out of because it was the only thing that might bring us money because otherwise we were going to starve we couldn't even afford a ticket to to get back to the UK uh, so we had to make it work and so we just kept on we just kept on going and my wife my wife is as tough as now she's a Turkish immigrant to the UK I did the triathlon and we both said we're going to make this happen and we did wow so 27 iterations there are on the business model canvas what um 6 or 9 little uh areas that you can mm -hmm. change something like that Yes, I mean you, you've got you've got nine separate components, and, okay. and most most of the time we were playing around with customers, the marketing, the niche, the value proposition, 
and developing new key resources, changing the activities as, as well. We didn't do much with the costs or the revenue. Okay. Key partners. So it was very much at the front end. We were selling a big industrial product. So what made number 27 work? I have no idea. Looking back, I think part of it, it might have been the fact that the market started improving and we just... The, 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 the business model canvas was, was a straw. It was a light in the wilderness, a willow the wish that kept us ca- ca- carrying on. Uh-huh. Um, alternatively, I mean, the, I think the experimentation, we were, we were just really robust. We'd try something and we got no daylight, no sunlight coming, coming through the clouds. Uh, and so we killed things, ideas very, very quickly. And if they weren't working, they, they, they were dead. And what we slowly, narrowed down on through a process of, of, of iteration was that fixed steel plates were where the opportunity was. It was, it was a classic niching strategy in ma- ma- many ways, um, but with quite a lot of stuff that people in the industry hadn't done at the time. I, I really, as someone, I say this as someone who gets paid to a certain extent to give advice and I really do wonder how much success doesn't come from something systematic or from excellent advice. It comes from we just kept trying long enough and something finally clicked. I hear a little bit of that in what you're saying. Yes, I think for sure. I mean, I was reading one of Rand Fishkin's blogs uh, the other day. The guy who did uh, invented SEO Moz. Yeah. Um, and, and he says, so much of startup success is, is, is down to luck. It's being in the right place at the right time, and I, I, t- I totally, I totally get that. But yet, the number of startups that I, I've worked with, and just keeping on working at it for longer and longer and longer without changing stuff, isn't going to work. I've got one client who actually I, I've just sacked. They've been working for the last couple of years on, on figuring out how to sell vegan food. And they've got some loyal customers, but the sales figures are, have been pretty much constant for the last two years because they're so convinced that what they're doing is right, that they're not changing the business model. And so it's, it's this thing that Einstein apparently said, that they're just banging their head against the wall again and again and again. And if you keep on doing that, you're not going to succeed. It's banging your head against the wall. That hurts. Okay, let's try a different place. Oh, there's still a wall there. Okay, move over to the left. Bang. Yes, yeah, still a wall there. But you're looking, you're mapping out the wall through your head banging. And eventually, you're going to find a soft spot or somewhere where you can climb over. Or the wall's going to come to an end and you can go around it. So it's, it's, it's not just being persistent. It's being persistent with purpose. That's something that's so interesting about what you're saying. There's a a sense in which the business model canvas or whatever the tool is that is, it's offering some structure to the experimentation. And I wonder if that makes it easier for us to endure when we feel like the, you know, as you said, it's purposeful experimentation rather than random. What do you think about that? I think... There, there is a lot to it of that. I mean, there's this um, amazing story, and I've heard a few variations of this over the years. Of, I mean, when the Japanese were 
advancing up through Burma or what we'd call Myanmar now. Um, and, and some of the some of the Gurkhas got cut off behind Japanese lines. And, and one one man sort of walked about 700 kilometers through the jungle to get back to British lines. And hmm. the officer said, well, bloody hell, how did you do that? <laughs> and, and, the, and, and, the, and the Gurkha showed him the map that he'd he'd been following that had got him back. And, and of course, it was a, a map of the tube lines in London. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely useless. But at the same time, that's what gave him the structure to be making decisions. I've gone into the jungle quite a lot. I, I've mapped hundreds of kilometers in, of it in Malaysia where I've just gone off. I followed a path to see where it's, it goes and then just try to cut between paths or use, using sort of my own intuition and a little bit of luck because there's no GPS or phone signal in the mountains there. And if you've got some sort of map, everything changes. I tell you, it, it, it gives you so much more confidence. And then because you've got the confidence, you can go further and deeper into the wilderness and explore and find your way, even if the map's absolutely rubbish. I think that's that's such a, I think that's it. I, I want to say that's it. It's not everything, but that's such a huge part of trying something new where there's no, there's no recipe that you can implement that is guaranteed to produce the results. So that describes so much of our modern life, right? There are no recipes, but maybe there are maps that give us the confidence to keep trying or keep trying with more boldness. I, 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 to I totally agree. I mean, a lot of what I, I, I do, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this, is because we're in a world of uncertainty now. I mean, for the last 50 years or, or 60 years before the turn of the millennia, I mean, it was fairly clear what you needed to do to, to be successful or reasonably successful in a business. You, you turned out, you bought a retail shop, you put a sign up and, and you basically kept the customers happy and kept your stock levels low and you made it made a profit now a lot of all those certainties have disappeared a lot of the old business models are, are, are breaking apart and it's not clear what you need to do go back 30 years if you wanted to be a consultant it was fairly clear how, how to do it now we've still got the mckinsey and the bcg models but as you're showing we're with, with, with your book and the Colosseum model, there are starting to be very, very different ways of, of approaching it. Is it right for me? How do I know? How do I find out? There's nobody out there to tell you. You can read the book, but you've got to go out and explore it for yourself. You've got to understand it rather than being spoon fed. And that's a lot scarier than it used to be. A lot more exciting though as well. Indeed. So you mentioned athletic endeavors as helpful what else kept you going i think honestly it's going it was it it was going out into the jungle it was having that open space uh my wife loved me we were partners she loved me unconditionally she worked like an insane trooper uh i mean she was back at work two days after giving birth to our first child and when you've got somebody like that at your side it really makes it very difficult to slack off because you're you're being held accountable and and so so we both encouraged each other 
um, to, to, to keep on going. When I was down, she picked me up. When she was down, I picked her up. Um, and I think those were the, the core of it and probably some optimistic genes. Maybe my mindset, I tend to be optimistic. Beautiful. Back to the timeline. So where are we now when you wrap up the Salesforce steel industry work? Um, so that's probably about 2015. Okay. I, 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 something, something like that. And I was, I was bored with it. I wasn't learning anything. Okay. So what happened next? So I, I, I was a little bit bored and I, I thought I knew a little bit about business models. Uh, I'd read quite a lot about them. I used business model innovation successfully, I thought, and needed a bit of money. So I, I went on to Fiverr. And I started selling business models for a fiver. Um, Wait, and... what? Hold, okay, so sorry to interrupt you, Dennis. Sure. <laughs> you just said like the most crazy sounding thing. Fiverr, which we associate with low-end work. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So we associate Fiverr with low-end work. And you were selling strategy advice or you have to tell me more about this. I, I was selling strategy advice for, for $5 a pop. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. How did that um, work out? <laughs> I, I got too much business. Uh, I was having to work way too hard for the amount I was going to take. Now, you've got to remember, I was living in a developing country. So when we're saying $5, the purchasing power was more like 15 or $20 for the work I was doing, for what I could actually buy with that money. Okay. How, um, many, how many kids did you have at this point? Three. Okay. Uh, and what was the grocery bill for the month, just to give a point of comparison that a lot of folks could relate to, um, if you remember? So we were, it was probably $500 a month. Okay. You could feed a family of feed the uh, family. Five, yeah. five hungry people for 500 yeah. a month. Okay. That's a great point of reference. Yeah. Thanks for that. And that, that would help us go and eat out because food in Malaysia is very, very cheap. So. Okay. Okay. So you were busy selling business plans for $5, uh, sorry, business models for $5 a pop on Fiverr. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it would take me less, less, less than an hour. I'd, I'd, I'd sketch it out. I'd, I'd put it down and I'd say, this, this, is, this is your business model. Um, a lot of the time, it wasn't particularly difficult work uh -huh. um, because – People coming on, on, on Fiverr, a lot of them, they just didn't have a, a clue. They knew that they wanted to do something. And all I was doing was taking what they were telling me, putting it down on a map and saying, here you are, bud. Wow. Um, and, and customers were generally delighted, uh, non-plus? Yeah, what was it? I mean, yeah. hundreds and hundreds of, of five-star reviews. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Keep going, um, please. This is fascinating. And it was, uh, and, and it was really, really good. I mean, I, I, I just loved it. I mean, frankly, I, I'm, I'm quite happy doing it for free because mm -hmm. it was just right. How do you figure out? <laughs> Honestly, I, mean, I, I, I'm a fairly intellectual kind of kind of person. I read way too many books on almost absolutely everything, and, and it's, it's it's just this intellectual puzzle. I mean, it's like people to start with, they, they give me a whole load of rubbish. Um, mm -hmm. and it was like, how the bleep do I get this to work? And it was like, oh, it's like that. And I, I, I just see it. 
Um, uh-huh. I didn't have to think. It'd take me seconds. Still does take me seconds to figure out how to how to get somebody's business model to work. And then I just write 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 it down. I type fast. I can type a thousand words an hour. So uh-huh. the whole thing took me forty minutes to to earn my five dollars. And after a while, it got a bit boring. So I put it up to ten, and then to twenty five, and then to fifty. And then to two hundred, and I, th- I think it's about a thousand dollars a at the moment on on Fiverr. I don't get many people coming to 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 do that now, but still, it's about an hour's work. <laughs> That's amazing. You have heard, I'm sure, this the story of <clears throat> the pottery class where the instructor said, "You can do this one of two ways. You can be judged on the final exam on one pot." And or you can be judged on the on the weight of all the pots you do between now and the end of the class. And those who chose to be judged on weight did better. I'm probably misrepresenting that story somehow, but you know, it's about the the value of repetition, doing the work, practice. You did how many roughly business plans through through Fiverr? I I, I don't know. I I think I'm at about four hundred uh five-star review something okay. like that at the moment and not, um, not everyone would leave a review so what maybe six yeah. maybe you've done five or six hundred business models yeah. uh, and then i've mentored lots of people over the years and so it was just the the repetition doing it again and again and starting to to see patterns doing it what was the and, shape of that growth like for you where were the the breakthroughs, the inflection points, the long lasting stasis where nothing got better? What did that look like? Generally, I think the the problematic points are when you know what you want to do, but you don't know how to do it at, in a in a cost effective or efficient and enough um, way. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, one one breakthrough um, was when I developed a template for for doing the business models. Developed my own template and and then said, okay, um, this is where you put the logos. This is how you do the colors. This is how how you structure everything. Uh-huh. That 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 slashed the amount of time. And then I was able to do more, and the quality the quality jumped, and I got more people coming in faster. And I kept on having having those. I think then I I got fairly bored of it because I wasn't getting particularly interesting um, work. I, I discovered, uh, and I'm still on this journey, is that to the really interesting stuff, you needed to spend days or weeks or possibly even months working on. And and so what was it? Two or two or three, or maybe four years ago. It's all a bit hazy now because of the um, because of COVID and the yeah. lockdown, yeah. Um, I, I I started saying, okay, I'm going to spend six weeks doing this with you, and you're you're going to pay me more money, and I'll send you something, and they'll you'll, they send me something back, and it's a little bit of a more interactive uh, approach. So, six hundred iterations—that's the number I'm using in my head yeah. for this time with Fiverr. Did you see any business models where you thought? that they have something amazing. This is definitely going to work. 
No. And that, I think, was under a number of reasons for that. Firstly, if somebody's coming to Fiverr strategy advice, 90% of the time, they don't have a, a co-founder or a partner. And that's usually a pretty good red flag that the idea often isn't as good as they think it is. If you can't persuade somebody to join you in your business, uh-huh. um, it, there are problems. And the other thing, and this is inform quite a lot of my thinking, is an awful lot of people want to a business model that looks like everybody else. There's a psychological, seems to be a little bit of a psychological comfort there. Right. Doing the same as everybody else. But that then just means that you're exposed to the same competitive forces as everybody else. Right. Bit of a herd mentality, perhaps. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. So you're, you, you inched the price up incrementally mm-hmm. to a thousand and people still sometimes buy that at that price. And then you started finding your own clients, it sounds like. Yes. Most of them come to me via somebody else. I, I, I haven't, so far, I haven't yet cracked what it is that I've got to say to people that I meet on the street that that says, aha, I've got to hire you to help me right. do, do, do the business model. So I, that that's something I haven't cracked. But there are some people I know very, very well, or I build relationships and I help them out and we talk and, and, and something clicks inside their head and then they start bringing me work. What's the thing that clicks for them? I don't know. Okay. Do they, do you, <laughs> I mean, there, there are things about ourselves that we don't know. So I'm going to ask you, do they know? But the answer may be no, they don't know either. <laughs> I think... I mean, people say a number of, of things about working with me. And Kira Higgs, who you know, she said yesterday that I'm just a relentless experimenter. I'm always asking why, what happens? What happens if we change this? Why do we do that? And when I'm working with people, they see that they, just that approach starts delivering insights. And often there's a... A question often it's a really really stupid question that i i ask and it unlocks something in the in the customer or the client um and they go wow and it's that that moment of where they start to see the world differently the the the, the pace for everything frankly and w- the longer i'm sitting with somebody the the more reliably i can do that but until I've done that with somebody and they've had that wow moment, how can they value what it is that I'm selling or what I'm offering? And, and that's the hurdle. You can only, you only know that I'm good once you've experienced that I'm being good. There's this experience that people need to have of working with you before they can sort of believe in the potential of working with you. Mm-hmm. I, I do a thing called the Expertise Incubator, which is this program of three challenges. The first is daily publication. And there's a similar thing where people have to do that daily publication for maybe around two months. And then there's a sort of a, 
uh, a flip where they start to see things differently because of those two months of work. But it's very difficult to promise people what that is going to feel like until they've actually done it. So I run into something similar and I haven't, I don't have a great solution for it yet. Yes, I can, I can understand it. I, I think in, in many ways it is the essential problem of the, of the teacher and the, and the taught. I am thinking back to say John, John the Baptist or, or some of the, the desert fathers and sort of science and Simeon stylites sitting on the top of the pillar. People could, could see that he was transformed. They could, they knew that possibly that if they went and did what he told them to do, they would be transformed. But there's, there's this, it's too difficult to go out and make that change. We learn through experience, not by being taught or told. Uh, and so how do you overcome that, that, that void, if you like? Exploring this, if you had an hour or two with someone or a group of people do you see what you do as being able to be reduced to a scale model version that fits in an hour or two? No. I mean, I can, I can extract the skeleton and show people the skeleton, but it's not the same. It's like reading a book about running a marathon and, <laughs> and running the marathon. Right. Um, they're, they're two experientially totally different things and yeah that the trial ability is not there yeah um I, I i don't know how to do it i sat down with a, a chap I've, I've known for uh a couple of couple of years ago he, he runs a um oh, i'm gonna call it a kind of a venture builder uh, mm-hmm. for, for lack of a, of a better better term and we, we 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 talked and it was like oh, okay so this is the way you want to do it you want to do that and I slotted lots of things into place and it just made so much sense to him despite the fact that he's been working on this for five years and he'd never seen that configuration before I had no idea that I was going to be able to solve that problem in that way for him I knew I'd be able to sit down and solve the problem deliver high value actionable advice but I had no idea what the what advice was, that was going to be, because I'm not playing in a in, in a in a world where I'm taking the same advice. Okay, this is how you do SEO, kachunk, 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 and, and you apply the same process every time. Everything that I'm doing is totally custom customized, bringing information out of the black box that is my brain and my experience to to bear on 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 his problem yeah it's um it's it's not a it's not a unique to just you and me challenge um i think that really good uh, coaches face this and perhaps really good strategists as well i actually like talking about tools Mm -hmm. the business model canvas is a tool a framework a method do you think it is a particularly good one for strategy. Are there others? Talk a bit about your perspective on that, if you would. I I totally use and abuse the business model canvas. Um, <laughs> I want to hear about how you abuse it. <laughs> it's 
I mean, going back to, to what we were talking about earlier, in, in some ways, it's, it's it's almost totally pointless. It's its own re only real value is it's a map and, and you're putting scribbles down on, on it that means something to you at a particular point of time. Right. But at the same time, because it's so simple, you can use it in lots of, of different ways. So, for example, you can, I, I use it to sort of help assess company performance, uh, organizational behavior, sort of cultural fit for transformations, just by asking different questions of the different segments of the, of the business model canvas. So, for example, um, corporate performance. Okay, let's use the business model canvas as your scorecard. And then everything we are doing well, you color in green, everything that's okay, yellow, everything that's red, you do red. Boom, you've got a very quick, simple way of saying, well, this is where I need to put my effort into. And you can tie that up to metri matri uh, metrics or, or, or do however you, you want it to do. Right. But it's, it's, it's a tool. And because you get you get a little bit of a conception about the way that the business is that's in a way more than porter's five forces or a swot analysis or an ansoft matrix or a bcg or or any of those you you've got more more dimensions that are available to play with and that's important i think one of the things you'll hear simon wardley say about his value chain mapping approach is that so much of the value is in the conversation that it forces within the organization. Is that uh, also something you you see as a as a primary benefit of this sort of exercise? Oh yeah, I mean it, it's uh, I mean one of my favorite exercises is sitting down with 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 people and saying, okay, let's do competitor analysis, and and you say to them, okay, do your competitors' business models. And you can do this solo. You can do it as a group effort. Uh -huh. um, and in in most cases, you you sort of stick them up up onto the wall, uh, and people will say, but "These look these look very similar, and aren't they all the same?" And they realise that they and their competitors have all got the same business model. And then you see something clicking in people's heads. It's like that's why we're stuck in competition. Uh huh. And then that's often, especially with, with, with larger companies, okay, so we need to be doing something different. We need to be seeing the world differently. And that's the start of the, of the process of, of having a perceptual shift that they need to have in order to start coming up with innovative business models rather than just doing a little bit of a tweak and sort of carrying on the, the, the long slugging match like between GM and Chrysler or between any other sort of well-established incumbents. They've got to start seeing the world differently before they can start doing anything interesting. What the process you described, I, you did not say whether it's in person or not. I imagined in my head it happening in this in-person setting. Everyone's in the same room. And so they have this perhaps very visceral moment of you know staring at a wall that contains stuff they've all created and going wow we really are completely undifferentiated anyway the question is have you tried is this in person do you do it remotely what have you learned about either of those contexts in person is is certainly easier mm -hmm. um because 
because there, there's the, I don't know the the intangible in the in 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 the air. When I I've done it online, I've tended to do it a lot more with a single person. Okay. Uh, and and so it, it's working much much more collaboratively, and it's it's not as profound. But this partly because I I, I tend to lead them a little bit more. Uh-huh. But they 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 they, they get it. And then that is where, where we start start moving forward from. Okay. Have you been able to experiment with more, you know, like five or ten people in some sort of digital virtual space doing this kind of work? Not yet. I mean okay. one of the I mean one of the things I want to do is start doing groups, but I'm I'm sort of just procrastinating and not sure how it's going to go with five or six people from very different companies doing it at the same time right yeah yeah definitely a a valid concern so are there other ways of thinking about a business model outside of the business model canvas that you think are helpful there are and there are a couple of, of, of ways that i and i don't really understand these yet and i know i shouldn't say that but i mean part of the the journey that i'm going on is i'm trying to develop new models and one of them i've I've stolen from a a chap called thomas kuhn um, who who wrote a great book in the in the 1960s called the structure of scientific revolutions Uh and he argued in in that that when we flip from one scientific theory to another say from say newtonian physics to einsteinian or or from copernican or pre-copernican um to newtonian physics mm-hmm. for a long time there are problems like like laying around so for example uh the precession of, of stars where some stars see, appear to see go backwards venus appears to go backwards as everything else is going forwards right um in in, in the night sky and this is very difficult to explain so the the ptolemaic astronomers so had increasing numbers of crystal spheres to try and cope for with all the observed motion of the stars in the sky and and this is an anomaly it's something that is it's not right and people can't really solve and what i'm i'm seeing is i'm still finding it difficult to explain really well is that in a lot of business models there are, are things like this there are bits of evidence that is starting to emerge to say that a, a very robust a very good business model is starting to 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 fall a, fall apart um so for example if we look at how solar panels are now starting to come in what is that doing to the utility business models it's not a big problem at the moment it can be explained away uh they can even run solar panel farms for, for themselves but it's gnawing away at it and i'm this, I'm sure that there is a model there that is going to be, help us to describe how how business models decline and, and, and fall, fall apart. But I haven't got all the pieces together yet. That's one. So what is your method for exploring something that is an important uncertainty, like what you just mentioned, not the specifics of the energy business, yeah. but... You know this this bigger question of you know why why do business models deteriorate? At the moment, it's 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 logical and, and deductive 
analysis. I mean, I, I did a philosophy degree way back and then sort of topped it off with a uh, an, an engineering, safety systems engineering. So trying to to build systems, logical systems that, that, that explain things. And I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out how to get, I mean, I can get the data set of all the company's data in, in the UK or, or what is it, five or 10 million of them and, and, and analyze that, but that data set isn't rich enough. So it's very difficult to be building or identifying business models empirically. And so there's a there's a question of how much of a of, of a business model is is it like a sort of a, of a, a five pound note just floating floating in the air? It has value because people believe it has value, or does it have an objective value or all of itself? And I mean, there, there's some difficult metaphysical questions there that again um, I'm just trying to figure out. Yeah. So. Do you think you will have to discard or set aside or adapt the business model canvas ultimately for the work you, you see yourself doing in five to 10 years? Will you have to invent something of your own? Because that tool, I mean, it's simple and flexible, as you pointed out, but do you see yourself, I, I don't want to sound like pejorative, like surpassing the business model canvas, but do you see yourself needing a different kind of tool ultimately? I think, yes, there has to be something totally different because the other thing, because you can sit down at a business model canvas and you can come up with an absolute load of sterile hogwash because you haven't got had the creative insights or intuitions to be able to create something new. One of my friends introduced me to this amazing Swedish artist, and I'm not an art historian by any means, but back in 1880, Hilda A.F. Klimt was doing these really boring landscapes of cows eating in pastures and sea and sky in the background. And then suddenly she starts drawing all of these red circles and orange squares, and, it, and it's very modernist. Uh -huh. And this is about... 20 or 30 years before modernists actually came on the scene. And I think the art historians say that she was the first in many ways. But how did she suddenly see the world so differently right. that she, she just had this mental flip and she was able to see something that nobody else could. And, and it, it's, it's like, I'm trying to see something in the, in the future. I know it's, there must be something out there, but I've got no idea what it looks like or, or what it's got to look like. You're you're going through a similar journey, trying to to describe something that nobody has yet described. When we look back, it's got to be so obvious. And there are companies. Um, let's take, for example, let's take advertising. So, so Martin Sorrell, um, who's speaking at Startup Brian last week, he was talking about how he created a twenty billion dollar company. And he kept on seeing the advertising business model the way it was. And he, he optimized it very, very well. Mm -hmm. And then you've got a couple of Californians who saw the advertising business model, put on a, a sort of some rosy glasses, drank loads of alcohol, did loads of acid or, or whatever they did to see the world differently, and then 
created a trillion, two trillion dollar business out of advertising that they call Google. Right. They'd seen exactly the same data, but they'd looked at it at a very different angle and come up with something totally different. And we keep on seeing this again and again and again. There's some magic in there when you're trying to do business model innovation. And how do you capture that on the business model canvas, which is basically an engineer's tool. It's very logical. It's very rational. It's very uh, right or left brain. I can't remember which, but it's not conducive to the, the creativity, the imagination and the insight that I think business leaders need to be doing something different. Okay. Well, you are, I'm trying to, in, in my mind, make, I want, I want to make a bet that you have something that is not the business model canvas, that is, but that is the, the primary tool that you use with clients. Yeah, I think it's five years, maybe three from now that you have that. That's my, uh, that's my bet, Dennis. What do you, what do you think? What would you say? It's, it's hard to say, I know, but when, when is this going to be birthed? this new tool? I don't know. I think it is, as you say, if you're writing every day and you're, you're pushing the, the limits, there are some parts of this that I just don't want to write about because it's too difficult. I've got to think too, too much. Um, and it's finding the, the right amount of headspace. But yes, I, I'd say three years, five years, I'm putting all the ingredients into the, into the pot and at, at some point, I'm not going to have sort of cardamom and chili uh, and onions, but I'm going to have a curry. But I, don't, I just don't know how long I've got to simmer it for. Yeah. The gestation period for humans is nine months, but for some things, it's for some ideas, it's significantly longer. Well, Dennis, um, this has been fascinating. Where can folks check out your work, see what you're up to? Um, so I, I've got a, a website, um, Dennis with one N, uh, Dennis-Oakley, sunglasses.com. So I, I try and post there fairly regularly. I move, I'm going to start moving to, to YouTube because I, I want to sketch and talk at the same time. And that seems to be more visual, more effective. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, Dennis Oakley Innovation should find me on, on, on LinkedIn and, uh, I accept all, all connection requests and um, anywhere else that I am and YouTube as well. Beautiful. Well, Dennis, thank you for joining me today on The Self-Made Expert. Thank you very much, Philip. It's been a wonderful exploration.